Happy New Year. It's a blessing to be here with you on this first weekend of 2020. I'm assuming everyone's made their resolutions and are keeping them. Um, you know, if you, if you watch the, the, the ball drop in Times Square on TV, you notice everyone's wearing those ridiculous hats with the Planet Fitness logo on them. How brilliant is it for a gym to sponsor and, and, and uh, the New Year's Eve celebration? They know that everyone's thinking, I'm going to go to the gym this year, and I'm going to stick with it this year. I'm, I'm happy to say I haven't gained any weight this year. Uh, so, you know, uh, only five days in, but hey, we're getting started somewhere. You know, whether you make goals or resolutions or not, I think it's, it's pretty safe to assume that, that all of us have taken some time to uh, reflect back on the year that was. And have taken some time to look ahead and, and think through ways that we can make this year our best year yet. We want this year to be the best one, better than last year, right? Anyone can relate to that. You know, we all, we all want a full and abundant life. Show of hands if you want a full, abundant life, right? We all want that. We all share that goal. But the reality is, you know, we, we miss some of our goals, we cheat on our resolutions, and, and even if we don't have resolutions, you know, life derails the best laid plans with the unexpected, you know. And so it seems like attaining that full abundant life or achieving that abundant life is something that we're always reaching for and we're always missing out on. And I think part of that problem is that we look to ourselves as the source of that full abundant life. More often than not, we think it's through our own effort and we're the source, we're the reason behind either having that abundant life or not having that abundant life. But I'm here to tell you at the start of this new year that I know beyond any doubt how to have an abundant life. And for four easy payments in 1995, you can attend my seminar. No. <laughs> Just kidding. God's word is free to us. Praise God for that. And it's pretty clear in God's word how we can experience the most abundant life possible. Listen to what Jesus says in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus declares for us that he came that we may have not only have life but have an abundant life. How generous of him. He left the glory and splendor of heaven so that we can have an abundant life. And then, in, in, in his way, he goes on to tell us how to experience that life. See, an abundant life, a, a truly abundant life, a truly full life, only comes with God at the center of our lives. Nothing else we do will bring about an abundant life if it doesn't involve God at the center at all times. Any goal we make, any resolution we make, any plan we have, if it doesn't involve God at the center, we're wasting our time, we're wasting our energy, we're wasting our effort. It will not lead to an abundant life. The world throws out all kinds of ideas at us. Do this, do that. Achieve this. Collect that. Gain that. You know, This is how you have a full abundant life. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. There's only one way. And that's through God with him at the center of our lives. You know, we, we try to get this abundant life. And, and I think a lot of times our picture of what a full and abundant life looks like doesn't align with God's picture. And so the goal, if we ever set a goal, it should be for our picture to align with God's picture. Not get God to change his picture to match ours, but to change our picture so that it matches God's picture 
of a full and abundant life because his picture is perfect. His picture of an abundant life is perfect. And so Jesus says, I have come that you may have a full and abundant life. And that comes from having him at the center of our lives. And one way to keep God at the center of our lives is through consistent and intentional prayer. I think if we look at Jesus' life and the example he sets for us and the way he lived, he showed time and time again how vitally important prayer was to keeping God at the center of his life and how important it is for us at keeping God at the center of our lives. So we're going to look at Jesus' example and model of prayer. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 11. And we're going to explore the first few verses of that chapter. The words will be on screen. Uh, but before we read that, let us bow our heads and go to God in prayer before we read his word this morning. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here safely. I thank you, God, that we have the freedom to gather together to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I thank you that we have such easy access. We can simply open a book or, or push a button on our, on our smartphones and we can dig into the Holy Scriptures. And Holy Spirit, by the power of your indwelling presence, I pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears to be impacted by the truth of your word, transformed by it. And pray this all humbly in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen to Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. I think Jesus' disciples, like us today, would have wanted to live the fullest, most abundant life possible. I don't think that's a, a stretch to assume that. And the disciples were in a position where they could journey right along Christ and, and they could ask him directly, direct questions. What is that abundant life? What do we do? How do we experience it? What do we need to do? And in this particular scenario, one of his disciples goes to Jesus and said, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Teach us like John taught his disciples. Now the disciple that this disciple, or John that this disciple is referring to is John the Baptist. And Jesus spoke very highly of John the Baptist. In Luke 7.28, Jesus says this, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. So here we have the Son of God saying that John is the best human being born of women. What a, what a high praise from the Son of God. And today we know John the Baptist as the one who prepared the way for Jesus, as the one who baptized Jesus. But I think it's interesting that in this particular instance, the disciple that asked Jesus to be taught how to pray doesn't recognize John as a great prophet. What stands out to him is that John was a man of prayer who taught prayer. And he's asking Jesus this because he just witnessed Jesus do what? He went off and he prayed in a specific place. So I picture this scene as this disciple's watching Jesus pray, and then he watches Jesus leave that prayer. He's coming, he's like, I want to experience that prayer life. I think something missing for me is, is an intentional prayer life and, and a con deeper connection with God through prayer. So Jesus, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray. And we see Jesus doing what he often did. He led by example. 
I think if there's a way to quickly summarize Jesus' leadership style, it's, it's come and see. His relationship with his disciples and with us today is, is most often, follow me and I will show you. Jesus didn't merely teach, he led by example, he did. And we look at his life and we see prayer being a vitally important part of Jesus' life. So how do we have an abundant life? By keeping God at the center. How can we keep God at the center? Well, there's a lot of things we can do. There's a lot of important things we can do in our journey with Christ, in our, in our spiritual journey, day-to-day -day lives, to keep God at the center. But I think prayer is one of the most important things, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. But I just want to make it clear again that prayer is just a portion of our life with God. It's just a part of the holistic experience of having a relationship with God. And prayer is not merely something we do. Prayer, prayer is a part of our life. It's something that should be just part of our existence. We need food. We need water. We need air. We need prayer. <laughs> That's how we should see prayer. As I was preparing for this, I was kind of looking back on, on prayer in my life. And my first memory that I can remember of prayer came from when I was about eight years old. I think it was eight, nine-ish years old. And I grew up in a very loving home, but it was not a Christian home. I didn't know anything about God growing up. And I don't know, I don't remember what brought God to my mind at this point in my life, but I remember lying in bed one night and praying, God, if you're real, turn my light on. That was my prayer. That was my first prayer. I remember laying there in the dark saying, God, if you're real, turn my light on. God, if you're real, turn my light on. God, if you're real, turn my light on. I don't know if I thought like scrunching my eyes tighter shut would, would get his attention or not. The light never came on. And it wasn't until many years later that I began a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I reflect back on that prayer and I see that that prayer had absolutely no significance in my life. It led to nothing more. I wasn't praying because I believed in God. I was praying because I didn't believe in God and I was testing a theory. And I was thinking to myself, maybe if Israel, how can I use him? What well, imagine the power I can have if God will listen to me, you know? But see, prayer alone is not enough to nurture and grow our relationship with God. We need more than just prayer. And there is no, there is no, the, the, the power of prayer doesn't come from what we say or how we say it or when we say it or what we're doing while we're praying. The power of prayer lies in the one we're praying to. The power of prayer is in God alone. And the impact of prayer comes from God responding to our faith. So prayer without faith is meaningless. I didn't have any faith in that first prayer. Prayer without faith is meaningless. But I will say that faith without prayer cannot exist. If someone says, I have faith in God, but they don't have any prayer in their life, I'm going to question that person's faith. Prayer without, or faith without prayer cannot exist. And so as we look at prayer, let us, not, let us not think that this is the only thing that we can do, but this is a vitally important thing that we can do to keep God at the center of our lives. And that's how we have an abundant life. And in Jesus, we have this amazing example of prayer through what has become known as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. I think it's too simple to say that we should do something because Jesus did it. Jesus did a lot of things that we can't do. He did a lot of things that we shouldn't do. And we do a lot of things that Jesus didn't do that are okay. But I think this is one thing that we can do because Jesus did it. We should do because Jesus did it. 
And it's an area of our life where we can strive to be more and more like him. And we can be more and more like him in our prayer life. There are nearly 40 mentions throughout the Gospels of Jesus praying. Not Jesus talking about prayer, teaching about prayer. That's in addition to that. There's over 40 times of Jesus actually praying to God. Jesus prayed before making important decisions. He prayed before performing miracles. Jesus prayed scripture. He prayed in detail. He was specific in his prayers. Jesus prayed short prayers. Jesus prayed long prayers. Jesus prayed alone. He prayed with others. Jesus prayed for himself. I've had people come to me and say, I, I don't feel right praying for myself. I think I should only be praying for others. And I say, well, Jesus prayed for himself. Jesus prayed for himself, but he prayed for others as well. He prayed when, when life was peaceful and he prayed when life was full of turmoil. In Jesus, we have this full spectrum of a uh, life that was rooted in prayer. Of a life in which he kept God at the center through prayer in consistent and intentional prayer. And we can have that in our lives as well. So I'm going to invite us to, to go to a different gospel now. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer that, he, that is recorded here. When we talk about the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6 is the passage most often used. There's a bit more detail about what Jesus said when he gave the example of the Lord's Prayer. So let's read Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think it's important to notice at the beginning, Jesus says, pray then like this. He doesn't say, pray this. He doesn't say, only pray this way. He doesn't say, only use these words. He says, pray then like this. The Lord's Prayer is so much more than something that we memorize and recite out of rote memory. The pr the, this prayer that Jesus gives us, it's called the Lord's Prayer, not because Jesus prayed it, but because he taught it. Jesus never had to pray for forgiveness of sins. We call it Lord's Prayer because it's the prayer He taught. In the Lord's Prayer, we get this guide to prayer, a path toward a more complete and fulfilling prayer life. And so what I want to do this morning is explore the different parts of this prayer, this, this teaching on prayer that Jesus gives us. Look at what it tells us about God and, and what it tells us about us and how we connect to God in prayer. So when Jesus teaches us how to pray, He starts with this. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In this first statement, Jesus teaches us a prayer of reverence. He tells us in prayer to acknowledge who God is, who it is that we're praying to. Revering God in prayer connects us to the divine, to the divine. And that changes our whole perspective on life. Think about who Jesus identifies in this prayer, he says, our Father. The word that Jesus would have used for Father was the Aramaic word Abba. It was part of the, the vocabulary of the day. It's what kids would have called their dads. It's what Jesus would have called his earthly father, Joseph. And in this word, we get this picture of, of the type of relationship that Jesus had with God and the type of relationship he wants us to have with God. 
Many biblical scholars say that the most uh, closely uh, connected English word equivalent of this word would be the word daddy. Now, I, I don't pray, when I pray to God, I don't call him daddy. I'm just not comfortable with that. But I love the picture we get. Because I picture my kids when they were little coming to me, two or three years old, saying, daddy, arms up wide, ready for me to hold them and carry them. I picture my kids at the time when they thought I was the best thing in the world. They're older now. They don't think that anymore. <laughs> but that's the picture I get from this word daddy. And, and think about that. We, we can go to God, our heavenly father. He's our daddy. He loves us that much. We can go to him with arms wide open and he's going to wrap us up in his loving embrace. But I don't think this word daddy is enough. I don't think this word daddy is enough because at this time in, 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 in the language Jesus used, it's the word that adults would have called their fathers as well. So in the word Abba, we get this immensely intimate phrase that could be like daddy, but it's also a word that conveys authority and respect. We're talking to the God of the universe after all, the God of the universe. So there's this love and respect that goes into who we're praying to. Jesus says, our Father in heaven. It's important to know that, that God hears our prayers while he's sitting on his heavenly throne. Scripture says he uses the earth as his footstool. That gives us a picture of the vastness of God, the majestic nature of who he is and what he encompasses. This is who we get to pray to. And Jesus says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a term meant to convey sacredness and holiness. God's name is a name like no other. We just sang a song that talked about how he has no rifle, no equal. There is no name like God's name. And to be able to say his name whenever we want, to be able to talk to him whenever we want, is a privilege we take for granted. It's a privilege we take for granted. So when we pause and, and we intentionally go to God and pray and revere him, it reminds us of the divine Tim Keller writes, through prayer, which brings heaven into the ordinary, we see the world differently, even in the midst of the most menial and trivial tasks. <coughs> Revering God in prayer is what we were created to do. It's what we were created to do. If we're ever feeling and we don't know what our purpose is or what we're supposed to be doing, stop and pray and revere God because that's what we were created to do. In fact, Scripture says if we don't revere God, if we don't praise Him, the rocks will cry out to God. I don't know about you, but I want to be louder than the rocks. I want to be louder than the rocks in my praise of God. So in prayer, Jesus teaches us to revere God. He goes on and He teaches us this. He says, pray then like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in this part, Jesus teaches us a prayer of submission, a prayer of submission. Submitting to God in prayer reminds us that walking in step with God's will is our highest calling in life. That's the most important thing we can be doing is walking in step with God's will. Anything else takes us out of God's will and therefore takes God out of the center of our lives and therefore prohibits us from ever experiencing the abundant life that Jesus wants for us. Prayer gives us the opportunity to submit to God's perfect will, knowing that it's always, always, always better than our will. 
And in here we see Jesus not just teaching it, but he leads by example. One of the most intimate prayers between him and God recorded in Scripture is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his arrest, before he's tortured, before he's murdered for our sins. Jesus goes to God in this, this prayer of just intense rawness, and he says, God, take this cup from me. He's saying to God, he's admitting to God, I don't want to go through what I'm about to go through. I don't want to do what you sent me to do. It's a really, really vulnerable moment for Jesus. But he says this, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus submitted himself to God's will. And if he needed to do that in prayer, how much more then do we need to do that in prayer? Submitting to, to God in prayer connects us to his kingdom work. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Dallas Willard, he's a great theologian, he says this, it would of course be a rather low voltage spiritual life in which prayer was chiefly undertaken as a discipline rather than as a way of co-laboring with God to accomplish good things and advance his kingdom purposes. In teaching this prayer, Jesus reminds us that we are kingdom representatives here now on earth to bring about a foretaste of heaven. See, heaven's perfect. Heaven is perfect because God's will is the only will. You come to earth and there's a whole lot of other wills thrown around. So things get muddled. But what we're reminded here when we submit to God's will, we're reminded that God is the king of kings. And we are his representatives of his kingdom here on earth. In modern society, particularly in the United States, uh, relating to this kingdom living is hard for us. But in Jesus' day, people would have understood immediately what Jesus meant when, they talk, when he talked about God's kingdom. In a kingdom, the king is everything. And if you live in that kingdom, your life is meant to be a reflection of that king. You are subject to that king and everything you do, say, and, and, and are should be a reflection of that king. And if you happen to work in that king's court and were ever sent to another kingdom, you were to be the king in that kingdom. You bore the banner of your king and of your kingdom in that other kingdom. And so Jesus says in our prayer, we, we say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is for us to be his representatives of his kingdom here on earth. So in prayer, we revere God. In prayer, we submit to God in order to advance his kingdom purposes. And then Jesus goes on to teach this. He says, pray then like this, give us this day our daily bread. In this, we have a prayer of trust. Jesus teaches us to trust God in prayer. Trusting our needs to God in prayer helps us recognize what our needs really are. It's interesting that just before teaching this prayer, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 8, God knows our needs before we even ask for them. What an amazing reality to rest on. It's an important thing for us to remember because uh, our interpretation of our needs are often fickle. Influenced by the world and, and, and up and down based on our current circumstances. But God never changes. And God always knows what our needs are. So when we pray this prayer of trust, we're saying, God, I trust you not to always give me what I want, but to know what I need and give me what I need. 
trusting God with our needs in prayer has a way of, of just bringing peace to our lives. You ever feel like life is just nothing but a stressful, turmoil mess? Anybody else feel that way sometimes? No? Am I the only one? Man, okay. But prayer just has a way, and, and, and giving God our needs in prayer, and trusting God with our needs in prayer has a way of bringing peace to our lives. I remember a perfect example of, of witnessing this in someone's life. It came in, in September. Our dog Hamilton got really, really sick. I found him whimpering in the corner. I'd never seen a dog this sick before. I honestly thought he was going to die. He was so sick. Didn't know what was wrong with him. Couldn't walk. He was shaking. He was covered in drool and perspiration. Like his whole body was just drenched. I, I didn't know what to do. So I grabbed him. I'm holding him in our living room, just trying to comfort him. And my daughter, Bella, she's 10. Now she thinks that Hamilton loves her more than anyone else in the house. I'm not sure that's true. But I do know that she loves him more than anyone else in our house. <laughs> and she was outside playing with friends and she comes inside for, I don't know why she came inside, but she saw me sitting in the family room holding Hamilton with towels and stuff like that. And this fear, I could see this fear in her face like I've never seen before. And she runs over close to tears and she's like, what's wrong? What is wrong? And I said, babe, I don't know. He's really sick. I'm not sure what's wrong. And Belle looked at me and she said, Dad, can we pray? And I said, yeah. And so right then and there, we, we laid our hands on our dog and we prayed. Prayed for God to heal our dog. I'll never forget Belle's response next. I saw the change in her face. We don't use the word countenance very much, but her countenance changed. And she said, okay. And she got up and she went outside and played with her friends. <laughs> And I saw in her this face. She knew. As far as she was concerned, she did all she could do. She took it to God in prayer, and it was in his hands. And I thought to myself, man, I want that kind of faith. Jesus says, faith like a child. That's faith like a child. Now, an hour later, you would never have known our dog was sick. Completely fine. Bella didn't need to wait to see that. She knew. She took it to God in prayer. He had it. Whatever happened. God had it. There was this peace that came over her. In prayer, we revere God. In prayer, we submit to God. In prayer, we trust God. Then Jesus goes on. Pray then like this. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In this, Jesus teaches us a prayer of repentance. You can replace the word debt with the word sin. It's synonymous to repent is to admit wrongdoing or to admit a sin with a true heart's desire to be forgiven and no longer succumb to that sin. Repentance is not really a word that we use very often anymore, but it's a vitally important word in our spiritual vocabulary. Here's the thing. God in all his glory sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross that we might have forgiveness of sins. And there's nothing we need to do to earn that. We cannot earn forgiveness. So why then do we need to repent of our sins? If we're forgiven, why not just go on sinning? Because we'll be forgiven. Paul says, oh, by no means do we do that. Not at all. Not at all. See, going to God in, re in repentance, it keeps us from taking God's forgiveness for granted. Which we do. Going to God in prayer of repentance keeps us from taking God's forgiveness for granted. 
And it connects us to God's freedom because we go to God in repentance. It's a time where we can examine our hearts and minds and we can identify the things in our life that are keeping us from walking in step with God's will, that are keeping God out of the center of our lives. See, a sin is anything we do that is not God's will for us. And so repentance allows us to connect to God and his freedom and to experience that forgiveness again and again and again and again. But then Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. See, repenting to God in, in, in prayer and, and, and examining our hearts, it has a way of, of, of changing our perspective. Remember, prayer changes our perspective. So we begin to see others differently. And we recognize this person hurt me, I need to forgive them. But then also, I've hurt them, do I need to go seek them for forgiveness? There's this perpetuation of forgiveness. It goes back to that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's part of what we get to do to advance God's kingdom. So in prayer, we revere God, we submit to God, we trust God, and we find freedom in God. And lastly, Jesus says, when you pray then, pray like this. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In this, we get from Jesus a prayer of dependence. Remember that following God is our highest calling in life. Walking in step with his will is our highest calling in life. And we have a constant enemy who wants nothing more than to derail that walk. Satan is always there ready to attack us. He wants to stop us. Depending on God's protection in prayer reminds us that we don't fight alone. We don't fight alone. In fact, God's already the victor. <laughs> Satan's a loser. Say that this morning. Satan, you're a loser. You know? That's an amazing thing. I'm, I'm, you need to get more excited about that. <laughs> going to God and, and praying for his protection because we're always going to be battling the flesh. We're always going to be tempted to sin. The temptation to sin never goes anywhere. The ability to say no to sin comes from God at work in us and our dependence on him and his protection. God wants to protect us but he won't force himself on us. So going to God in praying for his protection is our way of inviting his protection into our lives. The Apostle Paul writes about this type of protection that we can only find in God. He says this in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Just stop and think about this for a moment. We can have this type of spiritual, mental, and emotional protection from God when we go to him in prayer and seek it. This armor that we get, it's the armor of God. It's not the armor of Chris. It's not the armor of you or I. It's the armor of God. 
And Paul closes his teaching on this with an emphasis on the importance of prayer. He says, praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. Depending on God's protection and prayer helps us grow through our battles. It helps remind us that we don't fight alone. So in prayer, we revere God. In prayer, we submit to God. In prayer, we trust God. In prayer, we find freedom in God. And in prayer, we depend on God and his protection. What an amazing example of prayer we have from Jesus. A vitally important way of having God at the center of our lives, which is the only way of experiencing an abundant life. Next weekend, we kick off a brand new sermon series called The Journey. We're going to be exploring the, the spiritual journey that we're all on with Christ. A journey of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, of becoming who God created us to be. A journey of becoming disciples who make disciples. Now, I want to say the first step anyone takes on that journey is to receive Christ, is to accept God into their hearts. If you haven't done that today, there's nothing stopping you except yourself. God's not stopping you. God's waiting with arms wide open. All you got to say is, God, come into my life. I invite you in. But as we go through this journey, prayer is such a critical part of this journey. So as a church, we're going to close our time a little bit differently. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Now remember, there's no power in the recitation. But there is something pretty powerful about the gathered body of Christ praying together. God has always responded to that. And so a little instruction of what we're going to do in this Lord's Prayer, just so there's no confusion or anything. I'll say a part of the Lord's Prayer, you'll repeat the same part. And then what we're going to do is we'll pause for just a few seconds and reflect on the words that we're saying, what we're saying about God, who we're talking to, and we'll pause for a few seconds and listen. <laughs> prayer is conversation. Conversation is a two-way street. How often in our prayers do we do all the talking and never stop and let God respond? So we're going to pause for just a few seconds. The words of the Lord's Prayer on screen will be from the ESV translation of the Bible. And you'll notice at the end there is that part, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You won't find that in modern translations of Scripture. And there's a very good reason for that. When, when that was introduced into Scripture centuries ago, it was because the most reliable original texts of Scripture had that in it. But since then, biblical archaeologists have recovered even older, more reliable transcripts of Scripture that don't include that phrase. But the, that phrase is extremely biblical. There is nothing wrong with that phrase, so we're going to say it together. Okay? So if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand as we pray the Lord's Prayer together. Remember, I'll say a part of it. You'll say it right back. And we'll pause for just a couple seconds to reflect. Let us pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.
forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours are the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God Almighty, we thank you, Lord, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, that we may have forgiveness of sins, that we may have fullness and abundant life because we are connected to you. Your Son's death tore the veil that separated us, Lord, and we're connected with you because of him. If there's anyone in our midst who has not invited you into their hearts, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Pray that in the quietness of their heart right now, in this moment, they would simply say to you, God, I invite you into my life. I need you to take over. And God, for those of us who are already following you, may we recognize that prayer is so important. It's as important to us, Lord, as breathing and and water and, and food and shelter. So help us, Lord connect with you in a more deeper way through prayer. And may we not take that opportunity, God, to talk with you whenever we want. The God of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords, may we never forget that we have a privilege of talking to you. I pray this all in Jesus' name.